<clears throat> okay, recording. You have a story to tell, and maybe you've thought, I should start a podcast. Meet Anchor. It's a powerful app that lets you record a podcast anywhere and get it heard everywhere. All you need to do is download the free Anchor app and hit record. Just go to anchor.fm slash get started. Your story matters. Make a podcast with Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash get started. Great. I think we got it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, guys? Welcome to Issues Podcast. My name is Salman Ali, at Salman Ali NBA on Twitter. Here joined by Craig Ackerman of AT&T Sportsnet. Craig, how you doing? I'm doing well, man. How are you? Long time no speak. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, and that's mainly because I figured there was a lot of stuff we wouldn't be able to freely talk about on here, whether it's the James Harden saga, the P.J. Tucker saga, or the Victor Oladipo saga. There's just been a lot of sagas. <laughs> a lot of sagas. For it's, Houston this year. It's, uh, it's been an interesting... Uh, it's been an interesting season, to say the very least, obviously, in terms of um, the winning that we're all used to around here. Um, it's uh, kind of gone the opposite direction. But, uh, I, again, um, I don't know if I mentioned this to you or I've done this in, in some other podcasts and some other things, interviews I've done over the course of the season. Uh, quite honestly, um, after Mike left, after Daryl left, everything that went on in the preseason with James Harden and eventually he left, I was fully on board and prepared um, for a, a rebuild, a retool, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and I think there are some pieces on this team that uh, are very exciting and can be part of the future. Um, and so, again, uh, I kind of expected all this to happen when, you know, like you never get fair value uh, immediately when you trade a player of James Harden's caliber. Um, wish him all the best in Brooklyn. Um, but uh, I'm ready for the future. And uh, fr- quite honestly, I really am excited about it. Is this the craziest rocket season top to bottom that you've covered so far? Uh no. I the, that 41 and 41 season was yeah. um that that was a season chock full of expectations. And you know, they were coming off the Western Conference Finals appearance and they got off to a rotten start. I believe the first 3 games of that season they had 20 point leads and lost. Mm-hmm. Where they lost all three by twenty, Kevin McHale was then let go. Um, you know there was the the friction between James and Dwight Howard, uh, and again that was a season with expectations, and they finished five hundred. So to me, that was of all the seasons that I that I've been doing since I started um, calling games full time back in two thousand and eight. That that one was that one was at the top. 
Yeah, that was the other candidate. Dwight almost got traded mid-season. Everybody just forgot. Like it was like legitimately a question as to whether or not Dwight Howard would be on the roster the following day after the trade deadline. It was such an up and down season. There were moments where you thought the Rockets would get it together. They'd win a yeah. couple games here and there, and then immediately they go on like a four game losing streak. Just a banana season. Yeah, it was just running. It was you know treading water. Uh, the entire season, and then by by the time they got to the the, the playoffs and another matchup um, with Golden State, um, there just there wasn't there wasn't a whole lot of uh, confidence uh, in that particular group uh, at that juncture. Yeah, and of all teams to face in the first round, the seventy three and nine Warriors are certainly not the team you want a uh, floundering Rockets team to play at that time. It was that, that they were quite the underdog, and that series played out that way. Yeah. Um, so on this podcast, we've talked a lot about how there's been kind of a whiplash effect for fans who followed this team during the James Harden era, uh, to suddenly be rooting for a rebuilding team. How has it been for you? Because I think you took over play by play responsibilities for Gene Peterson in like 2008. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, and I think you were with the team for like 10 to 15 years before that. It's like the nineties. So, but specifically since 2008, the Rockets have been pretty damn good, like competitive every year, no losing seasons, and they've made multiple Western Conference Finals runs. And I'm, I'm looking right now, they're 14 and 40. So that streak of 500 or better seasons is clearly over. Uh, you've been broadcasting these games uh, in one way or another, whether by TV or radio. How has that sudden change been for you? Well, I, look, I've I've been with the organization since 1994. I was my first year as an intern was the the second of the the back to back championships, uh, and like you said, I and then I and then starting in 2003, I, I was doing pre half and post game shows uh, on the radio, working with Gene and Jim as well. Um, but like I said earlier, I, look, I to me uh, the bubble ends. Uh, Mike D'Antoni is out before the plane lands back from Orlando. Uh, and then everything that went on with Daryl, um, and then in the preseason with, with with stuff went on with James. I think to me personally, uh, look, you had already made that shift. I, I had made that shift personally. I, I felt that that era had now run its course. Uh, that that group, um, albeit di- disappointing from the from the perspective that they ultimately didn't win a chip, um, but it was incredibly successful over the course of of Harden's tenure and Daryl's tenure and the four years of Mike D'Antoni when he was the head coach of this team, Um, you know, compared to what we're going through now. I mean, that that's incredible success. Um, But I I had thought that that era honestly had run its course. Uh, I was perfectly fine uh, with moving on from it. So, and then again, I knew that when, as I said earlier, when you trade a guy of James Harden's caliber, we're talking one of the five best players on the planet. Um, immediately you are never going to get equal value for somebody like that. It's just the way it is. The Lakers traded for Anthony Davis, and Anthony Davis is not on James Harden's level. They traded for Anthony Davis. They got themselves a championship, and New Orleans is still playing sub-500 basketball, and that is even after getting the number one overall pick in Zion Williamson. So it it takes time. Um, And, again, this, this is new. And it's new for this fan base because for 25 years, outside of what, the 01-02 season, or maybe it was the 2000-2001 season, I can't remember which. The Yao uh, draft. Yeah, it was the Yao draft, the season preceding the Yao draft. Uh, so it was 01-02. Um, outside of that season, this has been an organization that 
routinely has won as many games as any team in the league. Even during the three years when the Rockets were transitioning from the Yao and T-Mac era that ultimately didn't work out because of injury, uh, those teams were battling for playoff spots um, all three years. Now, ultimately, they didn't get in, but that team was battling for playoff spots. So people around here are used to a winning organization or used to a winning team. And so I can understand that um, it's a it can be a pretty tough uh, pill to swallow. But again, I, I thought that era had run its course. I was ready for it. I was ready for this to be an uneven season. Um, it's been unusual from a variety of reasons, namely the, the big losing streak. I don't think anybody saw that coming. Um, but there are going to be growing pains. There are going to be growing pains next year and probably for the next couple of years as these young guys grow and develop. And they eventually draft guys high in the draft who need to grow and develop. And then you hope that during that process, um, the this thing becomes a two-year or a three-year or a five-year situation as opposed to a decade plus like we've seen with teams like Minnesota and Sacramento and Phoenix. You hope you can land the generational talent at some point, whether it's acquisition like they did with James Harden or in the draft, and you get this thing turned around uh, in, in a relative hurry. Um, but again, I think the Rockets have, have a little bit of a jump start on that with their with their core of young guys. And to me, you have, just have to kind of shift your expectations to, all right, watching this team win, hoping they make a deep playoff run and ultimately compete for a championship, to watching the incremental growth of the young players. That being said, is your approach for every game still the same? Because it's changed for me. Like, for example, I no longer feel the need to live tweet every game. In fact, some games I'll even watch after the fact. And when I'm watching the games that I watch, my brain, I find my, my brain telling me, okay, this piece of information doesn't matter. This player is not going to be here next year. That player won't be here for the long haul. Okay, maybe this player could be a part of Houston's future n- nucleus. Uh, how is this player getting better game to game? I think you get the point. Like I'm looking at everything for, from Houston's perspective, from a long term approach. I know you're someone who is bringing like a bunch of notes to every game uh, in very hard to read, tiny handwriting. Um, but does your preparation change at all? Like, do, do you talk about different things during the dead moments of a game? Uh, no. Uh, look, my, my preparation. Um has always remained the exact same. Whether it's game one of the preseason or game seven of the NBA Finals, I prepare for each and every game the exact same way, whether this team is good or this team is bad. My preparation remains the same. That's my job. That's what I get paid to do. Uh, That's what I enjoy doing. I mean, a a big part of of broadcasting games is you have to sort of, um, I don't know, fall in love is probably too strong of a word, but you have to appreciate the game preparation. You have to, uh, have to be invested. Yes, you have to be very invested in it. Um, otherwise, it comes out, at least I think. And and I, I again, um, maybe I tend to over-prepare at times, uh, but I just feel like that's my duty and my responsibility. So so that none, none of my preparation has changed, um, knowing that you know this team at this point obviously is not going to make the playoffs. I'm still going to prepare for the game against Indiana and Denver and all the rest of the season the exact same, I, the exact same way I did when the Rockets went into Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals the last time out against the Golden State Warriors. My prep does not vary whatsoever. Um, but obviously um, inside the games as they're happening, um, as somebody who represents the organization, um, my job, I think, is to point out facts. And so um, when things are going poorly, I try to make sure that I point out things that are factually correct. Like, you know, if the team is 7 of 27 from 3, 
well, they're shooting poorly. Um, and it, I think it's my responsibility to kind of point that out. Um, but then uh, as things are going along, my focus, especially, you know, they had the six game winning streak, right? Post James Harden. And then Christian Wood goes down at that point. I think everyone, including myself, was thinking, all right, this team is going to push for a playoff spot. And then the losing streak just started to build and build and build. And about halfway through the losing streak, I kind of came to a personal realization that, okay, it doesn't look like this group's going to make the playoffs. So now let's kind of shift our focus again to pointing out the the growth of the young players. And when they struggle, talk about the things that they're perhaps maybe not doing well, that they need to get better at and so on and so forth. So that's kind of kind of the way I've, I've approached things as, as this thing has gone along. Yeah, I, I was with you. I, I thought, you know, after that six-game losing streak, I, I stayed in until like the 10-game 10, 10 mark <laughs> of, of that losing streak. I was like, okay, this is clearly something that Christian Wood's return is not going to fix. Um, and I've had to, sh- I've had to shift gears here. Um, let's talk about the actual Rockets because they're obviously a much younger team than we've been accustomed to them Mm-mm. being. It's kind of surreal hearing Steven Silas talk about someone like DJ Wilson, like he's Pablo Prigioni type of veteran, like who's been around the league and he's like 25 years old. Um, but among the young guys, and, and I guess I'll qualify this when I say young guys, like 25 years and younger, who are you most intrigued by? Like, is there someone you look at and think, okay, th- when the Rockets are a good team again, this is someone who will definitely be on the roster? Well, I'll preface all this by saying I don't think in this franchise's history they've ever had this young of a group, especially 20-year-olds that are playing major minutes. Because, again, the Rockets, for the most part in this franchise's existence since moving to Houston, has been one of the better teams in the league. So outside of some outlying areas, like when they picked up Ralph Sampson, Nakeem Olajuwon, and Yao Ming, they haven't really drafted all that high, and especially in the modern era, right, where the young guys are starting to come out. Even after they put in the one-and-done rule in college, the Rockets have been very good, so they really haven't drafted very high. So they really haven't had super young guys. So this is kind of a new experience for everybody. But I, look, the, in order for this thing to ultimately get turned back around and for this team to get back where it needs to be and the organization wants to be in, in terms of you know championship contention is that you need, you need someone to become that – number one. And so, so as I look at it that way, I'm intrigued by all the young guys, but I'll start with, I think Kevin Porter Jr. is the guy currently on the roster who's got the um, potential to possibly become a number one. And so to, to me, he first and foremost is the one I focus on because I think that's the most important thing in this sport. There's really only 10 or 15 guys, quite honestly, in any given season that are really true difference makers. Um, and if you don't have one of those true difference makers, even though there are tons of really, really talented basketball players across the league, I think the league is as talented and as skilled as it's ever been. But there are so there are, and it's just the nature of the sport, right? When one player can, in essence, play the full 48 and make all the difference in the world, those top echelon guys are the ones that ultimately decide whether or not you're a true playoff contender or you're a perennial lottery team. And so I think of the guys on the roster right now, the guy who might have that potential is Kevin Porter. So to me, he's the most intriguing. On down that list, 
Uh, Jay Sean Tate's sort of been a revelation. I really didn't know a whole lot about this guy. Uh, I think he's got an outstanding future as as a rotation player on a really good team. He's never going to be a, a you know if, if Jay Sean Tate is ultimately your second best player, you're probably not winning a ton of games. That's not a slight at him. That's just his particular skill set. Um, KJ Martin has been terrific um, this year, um, especially with his growth as a three point shooter. I think the ceiling can be pretty high on him. Uh, I think Christian Woods' um, talent level is obviously speaks for itself. He needs to get a little more consistency involved in his game. But again, of all the the young guys, to me, the most intriguing is Kevin Porter. Unless the Rockets end up scooping somebody up high in the draft, that can be that franchise changer. He's the guy to me that, for that reason, if the, if this team is going to get back to that level, they're going to need this kind of development from him. Pairing up Kevin Porter Jr. with John Lucas was like a stroke of genius from the from the Houston's front office. Like they got him for nothing. Yeah, and, nothing. And he looks like a legitimate NBA player. Like I, I don't know whether or not he's going to be a star or not. Like he's twenty years old. It's really hard right. to project that. But he has moments where he looks like he's just gliding on the floor. Like like everything's moving in slow motion for him. And that's really impressive for someone his age. Uh, I had down Jay Sean Tate because uh, I'm still astounded. This episode is brought to you by Cox Home Life. Cox helps make your home smarter and your life easier. And now you can use your Contour voice remote to connect to your home life cameras. So you can view them right on your TV screen using simple voice commands. That makes it easy to keep tabs on what's happening around your home right from your couch. Need to keep an eye on the kids when they're playing outside? Just say, show me my backyard camera into your Cox voice remote and watch them while you're in the house. If you're waiting for a delivery and want to make sure it's there on time, no problem. Say, show me my driveway camera to check on it with your Home Life HD cameras on the TV screen while you go about your day. When you live in a home powered by Cox Internet, you can stay connected to what matters and let Cox take care of the rest. To learn more about all the benefits of your connected home, visit cox.com slash this is home. That, that this guy was in Australia last year because he strikes me as someone who's obviously an NBA level defender. He's stout. He can move his feet. He has good instincts and in that he knows where to be and when to be there on the floor. And as a ball handler and passer, like, listen, I'm not saying he'll become a primary or even secondary ball handler one day, but he's not a stiff. Like, he's not someone you stick in the corner and pray he never does anything with the ball other than take corner threes. And his contract is dirt cheap over the next two seasons. I think it's like $2.9 million. Like, that's not quite big enough to be worth moving if it's not for a first-round pick. I can easily see him sticking around for a second contract. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast. He's absolutely part of the future. There's no question about it. His versatility, his ability to defend multiple positions, as you mentioned, he's Rocket's best defender. He's getting better at shooting threes. Um, even being undersized uh, at 6'4", he's got great finishing ability around the rim, terrific footwork, um, good instincts. Um, he, he answers the bell every single game. Um, and sometimes, you know, uh, availability, 
uh, is the best skill set that you can have. Um, yeah, he, he's been a, he's been a revelation. I mean, I don't know if if playing uh, in Australia for Will Weaver um, had um, you know kind of turned the light on to to the Rockets. And Matt Buller told the story on uh, the last game we worked uh, that he was he was nearly a Golden State Warrior. I mean, can you imagine if the Warriors had scooped him up? Um, uh, you know, until the shutdown and, and COVID hit and all that other stuff and, and, and their season, they never ultimately resumed their season. I mean, I, I, he's, I'm not saying he's Draymond green, um, but he's got a lot of Draymond green like qualities to him. And I, th- I, I think ultimately grouped with the right frontline players that will translate to winning basketball. Yeah, there are people not associated with the Rockets who are much higher on him defensively than I am. Like they're talking like all NBA defensive level guys, and I'm like, yeah, that 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 is a hell of a projection. I mean, he he's just really really smart. That that's really what strikes me. It's like he knows when to take a charge, where to be someplace on the court. Um, you know, it, it, it's really incredible. Like the Rockets start off uh, last season or in the middle of last season, they converted to like a micro ball kind of lineup. And now they're kind of going huge. Like they have Kelly Olynyk and Christian Wood starting at the same time, uh, partially due to injury, but partially because I think those are like the two of the five best players in the court right now. Like these guys are clearly going to be a big, big part of the rotation down their stretch. Uh, what, what strikes you about Kelly Olynyk uh, since the acquisition? Like, do you do you see him as someone being potentially a part of Houston's long term court? Maybe not for like you know, five, six years down the line, but maybe two or three? Um, I, I hope so. I mean, obviously, I think price point with his contract, I don't. I think will come into play. Um, I don't know where that might be. Um, I think everybody has a general idea. Uh, but the Rockets really don't have to worry a ton, I don't think, about some of these decisions as they go forward. But Kelly Olnick's always been a, a, a solid player. I mean, he, was, he, had a dec- he had a pretty good rookie season. Uh, obviously, he was a terrific college player. Um, he shot it well from the three. Obviously, he has really good size. Um, he's been on teams that have won, you know, a lot of games uh, throughout the course uh, of his career. Um, he's still, you know, relatively young, so I think he fits the timeline um, of this group as as a veteran player, but not an older, older veteran player. Um, you know, his ability to play multiple spots his versatility with Christian Wood um, to pick and pop and handle a little bit. Um, I think it's like I, he's playing statistically speaking because his role is 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 different now than it's ever been with this team. His numbers are the, as good as they've ever been in his career. But I think he absolutely and I I mean he's kind of been starting with Miami. Um, I think he's absolutely um, a, a player who should be playing on a team that's really really good. And and I you know um, and I, I that trade was was you know, sort of poo-pooed um, by a lot of people. I will admit I was a little surprised the Rockets weren't able to get uh, one of the Heat's uh, young players in that deal, but there's no question about it that Kelly Olenek has been much better for the Rockets. They still have not been winning, but Kelly Olenek has still been much better for this team with all due respect than Victor Oladipo ever was. Yeah, I mean, he is um... – the his ability to space the floor enables him to play big, right? Like they, otherwise, they wouldn't be playing uh, like this in twenty twenty one. But because he can, sh- he can space the floor, and because and because Christian Wood can space the floor, those guys can play alongside each other. I think they're still figuring stuff out. 
Mm-hmm. But clearly the rebounding presence is there. They're averaging like 20 rebounds a game together or something like that. Um, it, it is um, it is a good tandem just to like watch and just see how it grows for the next couple uh, games. It, okay, guys, sorry to interject, but the audio on my side of the conversation gets really staticky. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and tell you guys what we were talking about. I brought up the idea of Kevin Porter Jr. and John Wall in the backcourt and they're fit alongside each other in the short term. All right, I'll go ahead and interject back into the conversation. No, no, and the thing with Porter and Wall, and I don't know how much this is going to change at this point of John Wall's career, is he's never been the most efficient player uh, in the league. And ultimately, like, that's what you kind of need from him moving forward. But I thought the synergy that those two had – now, they haven't shared the floor a ton with each other, obviously, but because Wall's had some injuries and then Porter was in the G League and so on and so forth, and then, you know – you know, when Oladipo was still here, Porter then was put back off the bench, and you had some mixtures with Brown and Gordon and all that stuff. I, I thought that their synergy in the Dallas game was um, what what we all hope they can do more consistently together. They both seem to sort of get their shots and defer to one another within the flow of the game. Um, didn't really do a whole lot of uh, – they didn't press. They didn't really do a bunch of ill-advised stuff. Um, to me, I think that 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 would if they can discover that on a more consistent basis, then that combo will will be will be pretty ideal. I, obviously, Kevin's growth as a playmaker being asked to do that for the first time in his pro career, um, and arguably maybe his basketball career, um, has been nothing short of spectacular in a very short amount of time. They pick him up from Cleveland. They were playing him as a small forward, which I'm sure is where he's basically been his whole basketball playing life. Um, and, um, and then they sent him down to the G league for a variety of reasons, but in part was to become a little bit more comfortable as a playmaker and consider that, um, an amazing decision by the organization because he went down there, got comfortable with it to come back up here again. He's only 20. So there are going to be times where things don't go very well and he doesn't look all that great, but for the most part, his playmaking is incredible. He seems to, more than any other player currently on this team, including John Wall, tends to really open up and elevate the level of play of his teammates. Now, whether or not guys are knocking down shots is, I guess, is a conversation we can have in a little bit or another time because that's been a problem all year long. But his potential assists are pretty good. His actual assists have been been very good. I mean, he's posted two career highs in the last three games. Um, so I think that's ultimately what would you like to like to see from from a player like Kevin Porter Jr. His passing is something I didn't expect when, when Houston acquired him, and he's averaging like six and a half assists per game right now. Um, we've talked a little bit about how young this team is. They also have a pretty young head coach. I think it's really tough to judge a head coach in a chaotic season like this. But what are your early impressions of Steven Silas and how he's kind of in- interacted with the guys? Well, I think he has been an absolute true professional. And you're right. I mean, there's no way you can judge what, what's happened here. The team that he had when he took the job, I mean, that team doesn't exist anymore. Um, it completely changed. Uh, there, ha- It has been extremely chaotic. But I, I th- what's impressed me with him is that, you know, uh, and with look, with a first-year head coach, too, as long as he's been in the league, when you're sitting in that first chair, there's going to be – you do it for the very first time, there's going to be growing pains and 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 learn a learning curve with your head coach uh, as well, and I'm sure he would admit to that um, too. But I think he has handled this entire situation with professionalism and class. And under the circumstances, I don't know how many first year head coaches in league history have been thrown this uh, many curveballs. 
Um, um, and I, I think he's handled it very well. And I think ultimately he will be judged as all head coaches are by wins and losses as this thing moves along. And ultimately as those things, the wins and losses, the wins primarily hopefully fall in line with the, the growth uh, of this group and ultimately his job and this coaching staff's job should their focus. Number one should be on player development. Um, keep our fingers crossed at this point, the Rockets end up picking at some point in the top four in the draft. So you're going to, you're going to add another really young, really talented player. And the situation's going to remain the same there too. It's about player development. So that's what his focus needs to be on. And I think he's talked about this, especially over the last couple three weeks, maybe a month about um, sort of, uh, I, I don't want to go to trust the process, but he's talked about, <laughs> you know, um, being focused in on, the process of getting better and coming to work every day and learning from your mistakes and trying to develop good habits. And that, again, that all goes back to, to player development. That's, that's him and this staff. That is job number one. And this was not their initial job responsibility before the season began. Yeah. Listen, it is never easy to be in that Brett Brown kind of role. Right. And he did not expect to be in that kind of role when he signed up, as you just said, like he expected to be coaching a contender this season. And this has kind of been spurred upon him. Um, But listen, like if you're just watching the box scores, right, if you're just looking at box scores at the end of the game, like, yeah, you're going to you're going to maybe look at Steven Tosh with a little bit of a side eye. But if you're watching the game, like the Rockets are in a lot of these contests, especially with some of these good teams. Like they're in it with the Clippers up until like the third quarter, right? Like like they're they're competing hard and they they just don't have the execution to finish some of these late games. And I think that's probably a good sign, you know, like the fact that he's able to to be in it. Like it's not a blowout by halftime or any anything like that. It, like they are actually competing. I think that's that bodes well for him. Yeah, and to me. I- Look, during the early portion of that losing streak when this roster was still a little more a little more veteran laden, that was a group that their effort level waned. But since they have transitioned after the trade deadline to a much younger core, um, one of the things I always look at with teams, especially with, with young players, is are they playing hard for their head coach? If they're playing hard for their head coach, then it looks like every, it seems to me from the outside that they're buying into whatever it is that they're selling. Um, and they are competing. Um, they do have some rather unfortunate lulls, um, and it's been that way all year, and it continues to be that way. It was on this way on this road trip, case in point, the second quarter um, in L.A., but they, they don't seem to – this group, the young group, this new group doesn't seem to quit, um, and I think that is a reflection on – Steven Silas, and again, something I hope will continue moving forward. Right, and some of those veterans obviously knew that their time was limited on the team, so that, that didn't help the effort level, right? Like, they they knew they were going to be moved at the trade deadline or before that in the case of P.J. Tucker. So, you know, that that, that does not, you know, men- mentally it's hard to be in a game when you know you're not going to be there for the long term. So I, I think these guys know that, you know they're going. They're. I mean, they have no choice. They're going to finish out the season with the Rockets, and that gives you an incentive to play hard. And the they're playing hard for Steven Silas. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I I thought um, in the early days with the Sixers, I thought the Sixers always played hard for Brett Brown. Yeah, um, I think you know when you when when you start getting veteran players um, who start developing some sort of a sense of entitlement, then 
you know, maybe sometimes some of that stuff, stuff can change. Um, but you know, and I, I think that's also kind of part of what his job is to, you know, he's talked about distractions. I think at times Christian Wood tends to get a little bit distracted by calls or the lack thereof. And sometimes his consistent level is his effort level can wane a little bit. It's up to him. It's up to the coach to make sure that that stays at a high level. Same thing a little, a, a little bit with, with Kevin Porter, when things don't kind of go his way, I think he, at least from afar, it looks like um, kind of puts his head down a little bit. It's up to Steven Silas and the coaching staff to make sure that he keeps pushing on and pushing through um, the mistakes. And I, I think to the coach's credit, and, and Kevin's credit, I mean, look, I, this stands out to me. He had a really bad game against New Orleans recently, you know, missed 10 shots, committed eight turnovers. It really looked like at times that that was getting to him in that game. He responded the next couple of games with outstanding efforts, really good production. And so to me, that's a tip of the cap to Kevin. It's a tip of, cap, a tip of the cap to the coaches that they got him to sort of put that behind him, understand the mistakes that he made, put it behind him and get back. To, to playing that they, they, the way that they think he's he's capable and um, and ultimately with this team that even around even around the market even, even with sprinkling in some of the veterans like Kelly Olenek and and you know if Eric Gordon next season if Eric Gordon's on the roster and players like House and DJ Augustine and so on and so forth and Avery Bradley that the, the focus is still on player development um, you know and and making sure that the the young players learn what it's like to be a professional, how hard you have to work, maintaining that, maintaining your effort level, and and uh, and ultimately, hopefully, uh, in time, uh, with that growth, the the wins will, will soon follow. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be a very, very long process, but uh, we will keep tuning in to AT&T Sportsnet to watch these games, listen to you on the broadcast. Um, where can we follow you on Twitter? Uh, CA underscore Rockets. Um on uh on twitter that's kind of like <laughs> my spot you know I'd r- radio at home uh tv on the road for the most part uh the usual um and uh yeah so there you go thank you so much for coming on craig as always i appreciate the time thank you